0: You are listening to The Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, T.J. Melinosky. Reverend Dr. Joe Butler is the General Assembly Vice Moderator of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. He has served in the denomination for over 50 years as a pastor, synod moderator, and presbytery stated clerk. He has taught at Bethel University, the program of alternate studies, and has served as the president of the Board of Trustees for Memphis Theological Seminary. Joe shares his call into ministry. He talks about evangelism and the beauty of small church ministry and the care we give by listening and loving others. I hope you enjoy this faith conversation with Joe Butler. Joe, you have been vice moderator of the Cumberland Presbyterian General Assembly for four months. What has been your greatest? Surprise. What's been your greatest discovery in this role?
1: Let me begin by sharing with you uh, a little background. Okay. It was on uh, June the 12th that I retired from my full time pastoring. Uh, I'm still preaching at a little church in Belvedere, Tennessee. But uh, I retired then and went to the General Assembly on the 19th of June. As a commissioner from Murfreesboro Presbytery, Uh, I've been to assembly probably eight different times through the years as commissioner. And when I arrived at the assembly, uh, Virginia Espinosa from Choctaw Presbytery, who's a dear friend, uh, caught me in the hallway and said, Joe, we don't have a a nominee for vice moderator. Would you serve? (laughs) Had
0: Had it ever crossed your mind before? I mean, before arrival?
1: No, not at all. And um, I looked at her and I said, Virginia, I just retired from ministry uh, pastoring. I said, I didn't come out here looking for a job. And (laughs) I said, but if you feel led by God's spirit to say something, you know, I'll do what I can. Uh, Turns around that uh, she did nominate me. And of course, uh, I was elected as the vice moderator. And I, I guess in the four years that I've served, I've visited several different presbyteries already uh, with Mike. Uh, one of the things that surprised me is the uh, the church itself, the, the presbyteries, they're all solid as far as um, finances, things of that nature. But the thing that has surprised me is the spiritual nature uh, of our church. Uh, I don't know whether the pandemic has caused it or what, but there doesn't seem to be the close-knit fellowship that we once had. Uh, It's kind of a standoffish type thing. Uh, You know, I'm afraid to get close to you, if you will, that kind of thing. And I think that has affected a lot of the evangelistic thrust of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church as well. Uh, And it may not just be the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. It may be true of churches all around the world um our desire to to really share the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh the the good news uh to a world that needs to hear it more than anything else at this time. So that's probably the one thing that has surprised me is that financially we're strong. Um structurally I think we're strong, but spiritually I think we're we're searching still, if that makes any sense to you.
0: Yeah. I think there's a relational aspect of we have to get to know one another again. Yeah. At least from the presbyterial point of view, because you know, presbyteries didn't meet or they met differently. Um, you weren't sharing events. Um, so yeah, it's almost a restart in in getting, getting acquainted and getting involved in, in other people's lives beyond just reading about it in social media.
1: Right. Right. I think you're so, so right. You know, I come from a pastor's background and as a pastor, um, one of my desires was be with people. Um, and you know, the last two and a half years or so it's been difficult. Mm. Um, and I think that has had an effect on evangelistic thrust of our church, uh, a desire for people to see others come to know Jesus Christ as Savior in their life. You know, we've kind of drawn into a little shell, if you will.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if we're learning how to converse again, to actually have dialogue and conversation. Yeah, I think
1: I think you're probably right. We're we're beginning to get that process back. Uh, a number of the Presbyteries when I attended uh, said this is the first time we've had a face-to-face Presbytery now in over a year. Uh, They've been doing Zoom, things like that. Um, How do you build fellowship when you're sitting here looking at a screen? (laughs) Right. uh, I guess uh, Cumberland Presbyterians are touchy-feely people. I hope we are anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I've also observed in my travels – When we gather in groups like a presbytery meeting or any judicatory, because business has been conducted, you know, minimally, when we are gathering, it really is a lot of catch-up, which also hinders that that fellowship, hinders the dialogue, hinders the conversation, because you do still have that kind of the distance, how do we interact with each other physically, but right. then it's like, you know, we've, we have a lot to cover. We have you a would. lot to to review. We have a lot to vote on. And, um, so you're right. Maybe, maybe this will take months or years to,
1: I believe you're right. Connect. Yeah. I believe you're right. It's just going to take us time. Uh, it's kind of like learning to walk again, mm. uh, after you've had a, a Serious injury to a leg or something it just takes time to get that strength built back and get the momentum going again.
0: there also has to be that desire. we have to be intentional about it as well and yes sir and yeah, um, yeah. that has to be reciprocated
1: exactly, exactly you know and that's that's one of the things that Mike and I um, have talked about on a number of occasions and shared with on a number of occasions is that um as Cumberland Presbyterians, we, we started in very stressful times uh, back in 1810. And we've gone through a lot of stress, a lot of uh, trials through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're praying and hoping that uh, somehow or another we'll remember those words of Judge Fusel when he said, somewhere in the sunlight of God's love, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church will live on. <laughs> that we'll once again learn to work together. Uh, And share together, grow together, and minister together. You know.
0: Well, the beautiful thing about it is we have no choice. We have to work together. Not only that's true. Not only are we called to do so, but um, well, we have to in the form of a polity and government that we have.
1: Right, and you know, if we if we can't relearn that. I'm reminded of the words of a great theologian who said, we're just one generation from extinction.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and that's fearful. That's frightening to me when I stop and think about it.
0: What other discoveries being four months in as a vice moderator, besides the surprise of just being in the role? Yeah, I mean, if you arrived in General Assembly back in the summer and didn't really have this in mind, um. Beyond that, what other discoveries have you made?
1: I guess uh, one of the things that I've learned uh, is that there is still that deep-seated love for one another, even though we may have differences of opinions, Mm -hmm. um, that we can disagree but agree to disagree and and move forward. Um, Visiting in Choctaw Presbytery, um, marvelous experience. it's a very hard presbytery to serve in because it's very small. Mm-hmm. Um, they have many needs there. Uh, one of their needs is they need a new mower for the campground. So if anybody out there has a mower that they can get to them, I, I really would appreciate that. All right. uh, but in sharing with them the, I guess you would say, the uh, closeness of uh, fellowship, uh, I felt very welcomed in their community, uh, and not just because I was uh, in a role of vice moderator.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, as a human being, uh, to sit down and eat bread and uh, break bread and eat a meal with them um, and to talk with them over, over the table in fellowship. Um, here you had about six delegates at the presbytery. There was maybe 35 there. Everybody was participating. Mm. Uh, It doesn't matter whether they were a delegate or not. Uh, They were all discussing together. And, you know, that to me is the beauty of of our our church is that, yeah, we're a representative government, but we all have a responsibility uh, to to share in that government in some way. Um, Whether it be to talk to those who are representing us or, or just going and sharing our voice. Mm. Uh, at at those meetings and and at the time that we are together, our concerns. Uh, and I think that's, that surprised me in a way because other Presbyteries uh, that I've been to, it was where, you know, you were a delegate or not, and you had to have permission to speak, but in Choctaw, everybody was talking, everybody was sharing. And I think that's important as a church for us to remember. Uh, The little church that I pastor at Mm -hmm. Belvedere, Uh, we've got five people in the church, two elders. Uh, When do we meet the session meeting? Well, it's every Sunday we gather. And everybody's there together. We discuss all the issues together. And and we make those decisions. So um, that kind of fellowship, that kind of camaraderie, I wish we could see it once again grow within our church. I don't know whether that all makes sense to you or not, but uh, I just... It's more of a pastoral function, I guess you would say.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, you haven't experienced hospitality until you've experienced Choctaw hospitality. And at the oh, same time, is true. Yeah, is true. at the same time, um, you're right, it becomes, it becomes uh, the Presbytery becomes a committee at large. Exactly. So every, everyone's put to work.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yep, that's true. That's true.
0: Joe, did you grow up in a Christian church? How did you come to the faith?
1: Um, I grew up in Christian church. Uh, my parents took me from the time I was just a baby all the way into church. Uh, I, I loved to play baseball in the summer. I uh, was in little league, but I remember Wednesday nights at practice, Dad would take us off the field. We'd go to church in our uniforms. <laughs> um that was it was just that important for us. It was at the age of 10 that I came to profess Christ as my Savior. Um and then I turn around and uh serve him in the church there as a young person, different roles in the presbytery, and what we used to call the CPYF. Uh and we um uh, when I was about uh 16 years of age. I was at a camp uh, in Kentucky and Terry Maynard, uh, who was a dear, dear friend, uh, was there. And I just kept getting this weird sensation in my life that there was something that God wanted me to do. And one night I I opened my Bible and I was just reading. I just let it open up and it was in Exodus and God's call to Moses uh, to go and to lead the people out. And I didn't fully understand it. And I I went to Terry and I said, Terry, help me understand this. What what's happening? And he said, Joe, God's trying to say something to you. Just be open to what he's saying and listen to him. Uh, Two years went by. Uh, And I was at uh, CPYC at Ferncliff, Arkansas. If you've ever been to that campground, there's a big lake there. And one evening I'm sitting beside the lake and I let my Bible fall open again. And it fell open to that same passage in Exodus. Uh, wasn't an intentional thing. I just let it open up and that's where it was. And I read it again. And it is at that point, um, I said, Lord, I can't make any more excuses as Moses was doing. Uh, (laughs) I said, if you want me to be a pastor, that's what I'll prepare to be. Mm. And, um, so I gave my, my life to him to, to move toward pastoring. I didn't tell anybody about this experience. And I came home from church camp and uh, I went to my grandmother, my mother's mother, and I called her Ma and I said, Ma, I have something I need to tell you. She said, you don't have to tell me. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're going to be a pastor. I said, how do you know that? She said, I dreamed the other night and it was the night that I made the commitment that she was having the dream. She said, I saw you sitting beside a lake reading the scriptures and you gave your heart to Christ to be a pastor. So that's what you're going to be. And I thought, Lord, you've just confirmed what I've <laughs> been, been struggling with. And, and I did. And uh, I served the church. My first pastorate was in uh, 1971 uh, as a student pastor. Uh, So about 51 years I had served uh, in some fashion. Uh, I was ordained in 75. So, you know, you figure it's 46 years that I served, actually. But (laughs) you have to add five more years to that. So it makes it around 51 that I've been serving and preaching Mm. uh, in different ways. Um,
0: Joe. Let, let me ask you a question. So, going back, you're around 18 years old, right? And you have you have a world of opportunity before you. What was it about the pastoral ministry uh, that attracted you? That called you?
1: I, I I actually was preparing to be a dentist. Okay. Uh, in high school, I took four years of Latin just just so I could be prepared with Latin words uh, in, the med- in the medical field. I was the only fourth year Latin student in our high school. Um, anyway, I was prepared by studying Latin, wanting to be a dentist. Um, for some reason, the Lord had other plans for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out the Latin helps me with my Greek <laughs> that I had when I was in, in college. And it helped me to have an appreciation for the ancient languages. Um, I guess the one thing, it scared me. You know, I, I thought, you know, I've got my life planned out. That's what I want to be. I want to be a dentist. Yeah. And I um, kept saying, no, no, there's something else that you need to do. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Um, he had plans. He knew what he was going to do. And all of a sudden, God says to him, nope. That's, never, that's not the direction you're going to go. <laughs> um, was he scared? I'm sure he was. I, I'm sure he was shaking in his boots, not just because of the experience that day, but because of what the future was going to hold. Mm-hmm. And, and I really didn't know what the future was going to hold for me. Um, and and my, my relationship with God and my relationship with people. Uh, Moses kept saying, I can't say these eloquent words. And I kept saying to God, I'm going to be preaching to people old enough to be my grandparents.
2: <laughs> right? I said,
1: why are they going to listen to me? Right. You know, And, you know, he just kept coming back to that. And it seems like through the years, about every seven to eight years, uh, I would reaffirm that call. Mm. Uh, and God would reaffirm it to me in some way. Uh, so. That passage in Exodus is the one that that really has stuck with me all through these years that um, you know I'm scared, yeah, but I have to take the hand of the lord and and go with him uh, wherever he's leading me
0: Why your grandmother why was she the first person that you were going to tell?
1: Okay, my grandmother and I were kind of um, spirits in common, I guess you would say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, She was the kind of person that um, I I looked up to her spiritual direction and leadership. She was very common uh, sensed type person, depended very much on God uh, and the leadership of God. She led prayer intercessory prayer groups at the church for others. Mm -hmm. Um, And just that my grandmother and I, we shared a lot in common. In fact, I was the only one with her the day that she passed away. Um, and I was holding her hand as she left this world, uh, singing uh one of her songs that she loved was Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, and let me stand. Um it was just a, a commonality that we shared, and I thought, you know, before I tell anyone, I've got to talk to my grandmother. I've got to talk to the one who gives me direction. And um she just affirmed it. <laughs> uh, Straight up.
0: <laughs> You've spent the majority of your ministry with a focus on pastoral care for, for those in the congregation and for those who have yet to come into faith. Right. Why that area of ministry?
1: I guess um, there was a book that I read years ago uh, that talked about the pastor's heart. Uh, caring for people. Um, that, you know, that to me, that's that's where ministry is. It, it's, it's not just standing behind a pulpit and preaching the word of God. But ministry happens every day as you're traveling through a community, as you're sharing with people and visiting with people. Uh, to do things that, you know, you think are really strange, but yet it helps someone along the way. For instance, years ago, when I was pastoring in Kentucky, um, it was actually my second pastorate after seminary, or my first pastorate after seminary, really. Uh, there was a young man or a man in our congregation uh, who had raised his tobacco for, for the year. Uh, two weeks before it was time to start stripping that tobacco, he fell and broke both arms.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. His wife had just had major surgery. Here's his cash crop, his whole year's livelihood, sitting in a barn, going to go to waste. So I called the elders of the church and I said, if you know anything about stripping tobacco and preparing it for market, let's meet up at the barn at daylight on Monday morning. And we went up there as three-fourths of the congregation showed up. And we stripped out his tobacco in a day's time and got it ready for market. That's the kind of stuff I think that really where ministry takes place is when you you look at someone, not just necessarily in need, but you see that person as a human being. Mm-hmm. And you seek to touch their life or and let their life touch you um, where you can grow together. Um, to the day that that man passed away, he couldn't thank that congregation enough <laughs> um, for the, the love that they showed to him that day. Uh, and that's kind of been my ministry through the years is, is uh, being with people and sharing with them. Yeah, you know, I could sit in the office and crank out sermons. Uh, but I find most of the sermons that God brings through me happened because I was with Joe Smith on on Monday for two Mm -hmm. or three hours. And we were just piddling, doing something together. You know, that's that's to me where ministry really happens.
0: Yeah, I think I think my my best times of sharing the gospel and my best efforts in pastoral care were on the tailgate of a pickup truck Yep. The front steps of a porch, around a kitchen table. Exactly. Maybe even a hallway of a hospital or nursing home. Sure. But rarely, if ever, in an office setting yep. or a formal type setting. Was- I,
1: I had a gentleman in the church at Harmony, the last church I served. His wife was not well, and I stopped one day to visit with them. And uh, he was out in the the garden and he was cutting okra and he said uh, he called his wife's name. I won't say it, but he called his wife's name and said, she's inside. Just go in and say hi to her. Open the door and holler. So I did and visited with her. And as I was leaving, I stepped out the door and I saw him fall in the garden Hmm. and I got out to him. It was a hot, hot evening or, you know, afternoon. And he was sweating profusely. And he had a knife in his hand where he was cutting the okra. And I said, first of all, give me the knife. (laughs) And he handed it to me, and I stuck it in the ground. I know you don't do that with knives, but I did. And I said, now I'm going to help you get up. Uh, Because he couldn't get up. And so he said, I'm bigger than you. I said, no, I'm going to help you get up. And I, I helped him back to his feet. He said, You've done that before, haven't you? I said a few times. And um, anyway, he said, I guess I'll get back to cutting. I said, let's go to the house and cool off a little bit first. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me is where ministry takes place. Um, where you look at a need that someone has, or you look at someone and you see the human side of them. How many times did our master do that? You know, he didn't see someone for how much money they could give, he saw the person. And if we as Cumberland Presbyterians could once again just see past all of our prejudices, all of our um, preconceived ideas of people, and just see people, you know, that to me would be so important uh, and would go very far in in building the kingdom.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Joe, to play the devil's advocate,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what about those needs that cannot be seen? So from from an evangelism point of view, but also from a pastoral care point of view, what about the needs that can't be seen um, that are happening inside, inside our our minds, our souls? Um, How do you pastor in that way? What advice do you have?
1: I'd say needs that you cannot see and needs that are not expressed begins by just looking at the other person as a human being Mm -hmm. and being open to listen, open to listen to them. Um, Too many times we go in with our preconceived ideas. When we go, for instance, to a hospital visit, we'll go in and we've got the way we're going to do it. Uh, and we forget to listen. Uh, sometimes people will give you clues, and they'll give you trigger words that will help you understand perhaps where they're coming from. Mm. But if we're doing all the talking, uh, we're not going to hear them. Uh, <laughs> and we've got we've got to shut up, and we've just got to listen uh, to others. Uh, and um, even though they may not express it. Uh, verbally to you. Uh, I think physically they will express it uh, in their actions, uh, in what they're doing. But it's a matter of building that trust, I guess you would say. And and that starts by accepting the person for who they are. Um, And if we can't, if there's not a trust there, they're not going to share. But if we build the trust, eventually they will. I don't know if that helps or not. Uh, but that's kind of where I'm from. I, For instance, I, I had a gentleman in the church in Sturgis, Kentucky. I knew his father very, very well. He and I were big baseball fans. And we'd go to the ball games together in St. Louis. Well, when he was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, and when he died, they called me. The family did. They said, we want you to do dad's funeral. I said, now, wait a minute. He was a member of the Baptist church. <laughs> You need to contact the pastor of the Baptist church. No, you're the only preacher that he trusted. And so they asked me to do his funeral. I did the funeral. And after the funeral, the next Sunday, in the congregation walks his son, his daughter-in-law, their son, the man's widow, and his two sister-in-laws. And they joined the church. Well, his son and I became good friends. And we enjoyed fishing and duck hunting together. And one day sitting in the middle of the Ohio River, uh, I, the Lord said, ask him. And I said, you know, he may throw me in the, la- in the river here. <laughs> uh, but I asked him, I said, uh, how do you stand with God? And he said, I'm not ready to talk about it now, little buddy. But when I am, I'll let you know. Hmm. Two years went by. I never said another word to him about it we continued our friendship and our times together. And I had moved to Alabama. And he and his wife came to Alabama to visit us one weekend. And after services, we went to uh, out to eat. And on the way back, he said, when we get back to the church, you and I have got to go into the church and talk. So I started into my office. He said, no, the church. We went into the church and he told our wives, he said, you all can come too.'" And we got in there and I said, what do you need? He said, I'm ready to talk. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he said, I need to to profess my faith in Christ. And, and he 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 led he, he prayed that prayer of confession before God right there. He said, now I want you to baptize me. I said, huh? <laughs> I said, what am I going to do here? <clears throat> I told my wife, I said, go get some water. And she went and got water. And in the presence of the two wives, I baptized. him. And I uh, sat down and I wrote a letter to the pastor at the church in Kentucky. And I said, it may have not been legal but as Dr. Waddle used to say, some things need to be tolerably legal. I said, I baptized him, and I said, he's a brother in Christ, accept him, and they did, and he became a great Christian leader in that church in Kentucky, um, serving, you know, in many capacities uh, until he passed away just a couple years ago, Hmm. Um, and uh, it was a matter, I think, of of accepting that man as a human being. uh, And through that acceptance, good and bad times together, there was a trust that was built. And eventually people will share with you if they trust you.
0: uh, And it took a long time. It wasn't overnight. It was years, you said.
1: Two Mm -hmm. years. Exactly. And You know, sometimes we try to rush things. We live in a society where everything has to be instantaneous. But when you're building relationships, it sometimes takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime.
0: What advice do you have for personalities that want to fix it? You know, you Mm -hmm. see a problem health-related or relationship-wise or lack of a relationship. And I think a lot of church leaders, uh, ministers, elders, just church people want to help, you know, with good intentions, but it's with a kind of a fix it. Something's broken. It must be fixed. What advice do you have for those who have that type of personality? Um, how, does that, yeah, how does that interact with or counter-interact with uh, pastoral care?
1: I think I said the word patience. Sometimes I think we as pastors can be very impatient, uh, but we need to learn to be patient. And I learned that in the early 2000s. Uh,
2: my first wife, Elaine,
1: Had been diagnosed with kidney cancer. And the doctors told us, said, I can't cure this, but I can give you some time. And that was like in 2003 or four. And over the next four years, she passed away on Easter Sunday of 2008. And over the years, I guess that. Time I learned that there needs to be that concept of patience. I can't I can't fix everything, but what am I going to learn through this? And I learned what, how important it is not to forget caregivers in, in that situation. And I know since that time, uh, my ministry and dealing with people who are terminal has not been so much with the terminal patient but with the caregivers hmm. um, how how hard it is for them to understand and it it taught me to be very patient uh, not just with people but but also with God. Um, God doesn't always give us the epiphany moment where we have that light bounce down on us and we have all the answers we don't do that it, but it takes time to learn that um, sure there are some things that that can be fixed quickly I, I i don't disagree with that at all but what i am saying i guess is that as pastors we need to learn to be patient with our people there was a button we used to wear. Please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. Something to that effect. <laughs> um, that we're all still in a growing process. Mm-hmm. Um, this side of heaven, we're not going to reach perfection. We're not going to have all the answers. Uh, and we we have to have ears that are willing to listen. And, and hearts that are willing to love. Um, irregardless of whether we're on the right or the left side. You know, somewhere there is a middle ground that we can come together, and that's at the cross of Jesus Christ.
2: Okay.
0: And that requires the ability to want and to desire and, and to seek that middle ground.
1: Exactly.
0: I think we have to be pretty humble as well.
1: Exactly. You know, there's sometimes we, as my grandmother used to say, we have to eat a lot of humble pie.
0: <laughs> that doesn't sound very tasty. <laughs> no,
1: no, it doesn't. But, you know, humbleness is something that we learn. It's not something we're gifted with. We have to learn that. And, um, you, know, you know, it's like when Virginia... Confronted me with that question, General Assembly, how am I going to answer her? You know, and I just simply told her, as I would have told anybody else, you know, you go where God wants you to go with this and we'll see what happens. You know, as a pastor, that's where I am. I I, I lean very heavily on the leadership of God's spirit. Uh, reading the scriptures each day to to hear what he's going to say. I quit keeping a to, to-do list. Okay. I, I don't keep a to-do list anymore. Uh, I keep a to-be list. And I get up in the morning. I said, God, what do you want me to be today uh, when I meet people? You know, and I find it's a lot more relaxing yeah. and, and not as frustrating. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. It definitely flips the perspective of our encounters every day.
2: Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: What about those things you have to accomplish? <laughs> uh,
1: I just, I do them. Uh, I do, you know, I do the day in, day out stuff when I was a pastor. Uh, you write sermons. Uh one of the things I learned through the years is I don't like to do Saturday night specials. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what I wound up doing is I would work on sermons uh, through the lectionary two to three months in advance mm-hmm. um, and just gathering material and trying to put together the thoughts of where we were going to go with it. Uh, usually by Tuesday, of the week of the uh, sermons to be delivered, it would be finished mm. uh, and ready to go. Now, does that say that, that's not being open to the leadership of God's spirit if things change. No, uh, but I think uh, you can use that research. And if something does happen that needs to be addressed, uh, it can probably work in. I think that um, God does it, It's kind of like uh, the providence of God. He goes before us. And in our preparation, he, he could uh, lead us to, to share what's relevant to the day. Uh, of something that i worked on for two months.
0: Joe, you've been teaching at the program of alternate studies for many years. And what trends, what kind of gifts are you seeing in the students and the people who are preparing for ministry in the church?
1: program for alternate studies is exactly that it's basically designed for second career people hmm. um and i find that uh, the classes that i've been teaching primarily the ministry in a small church it, and it's interesting they asked me to do that because that's what i did all my ministry <laughs> uh, i never never had a church over a hundred members um anyway um I find in their hearts and in their lives a real commitment, if you will, uh, to be of service to the Lord and and to the community. Uh, Not worried about numbers, but concerned about preaching the gospel, uh, preaching the the good news of Jesus Christ to to the world. Mm -hmm. Not just preaching it, but in the class, trying to look at ways that we can do that ministry. Uh, As ways I've been talking to you about uh, through every other day of the week, there's more than just one day on in the church. There's six more days that are there. Um, And I think um, I'm seeing more of a a spiritual commitment in the last few years, especially uh, among those who are studying in the program of alternate studies. Um, that's not to say there's not a commitment also in the seminary students, because I think there is. But uh, I think there is, I'm seeing a very genuine concern once again beginning to rise just for people hmm. uh, among those who are coming through that program.
0: Well, expanding this question out a bit, uh, Joe, what hopes do you have for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church? What do you think the next. Three to four years is going to bring for the church in terms of service and in terms of our identity?
1: I think in the next three to four years, it's going to be a real struggle for our local congregations. And I think a lot of it is because of what we've gone through in the last few years. I see a great future for our church in our um, reaching out to other cultural. Uh, identities, um, the ministry that we're doing now, uh, and is going on uh, through uh, England and you know Guatemala and all of these different places that we're touching hearts. I, I forget how many fields it is we're in now. Uh, what is it? About fourteen different countries, uh, yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, I see a future there through that. Uh, our our decision's going to be how do we tie them uh, to uh, a group of people that are located in the United States that we can work together mm. um, bringing that together as one united body of Christ uh, in the church. As far as in the uh, the nation itself, the United States, I, I see a I see that we're going to have some difficulties, uh, cultural problems within the church, and I think a lot of it has been raised because of of what we've gone through uh, and what politically we're facing in our world today and things of that nature. Um, but I hope that in our struggles with the issues that we face, that we can find that common ground still and we can work together mm. um, because we serve one Lord. He's not a divided Lord. He's one and, and he has a desire to be in fellowship with people uh, with his creation. And if um, we can't demonstrate that as human beings in the church, we're not really affirming Christ at all, are we? Um, we're saying that, you know, Jesus is in my camp or Jesus is in my camp. Well, he's really in both camps. But he's trying to say, you get these two camps together and we'll march together as one army. Um, you know, and I think um, the future of the church. I think can be very bright, and very hopeful. But then I think. Also, there's that fear that it could be very black and very dark, and it's going to depend on us and our commitment to Christ, our commitment to the kingdom of God and where it's going to go.
0: Yeah, we have an active role in the future of the church, all sure. of us, and a responsibility sure. yeah. uh, to do mission. That we do. That
2: we do. Yeah,
0: all yeah. right. Let me ask you, what is retirement like?
1: Every day's a Saturday. No. Uh I really don't know yet what retirement's like. Uh it seems that um uh you know so much for retirement in the kingdom of God. Uh you never fully retire. Pastors are always pastors. I said one time pastors never retire. They just get lost for words. Um, <laughs> and sometimes that's true. But um, I think one of the things that I've learned in the four months or so since I've supposedly retired is that um, every day is is a precious day. Um I have loved being able to sit with my wife uh, in worship, Uh, something I never did, never was able to do. Uh, And I love that, Uh, to put my arm around her as we hear the word of God proclaimed. And I love that. Um, Retirement itself, I have these great goals. I thought, well, I'm gonna write a book. Uh, I have a friend who's a publisher. Uh, I'm I'm working on an idea. It may take it a year or two to to come to fruition, but um, anyway, that was an idea goal. I have a workshop in my basement. I think I I think I'll work in my workshop. I've been in my workshop one day since I retired <laughs> in my wood shop, and that was to repair a piece of furniture. Um, I guess retirement uh, from full time pastorate. Has freed me up to um, to be more attentive to the presence of God in my life every day, mm-hmm. um, to give Him thanks for the little things that I see and the little things that are done. Um, you know, those. You know, it's it's not retirement as such. I there's still work to do, and, and I still do it. Um, I, I've preached about five times since I did retire. Uh, outside of the Belvedere Church, which is every other week, um, so there's there's those opportunities to 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 slow down a little bit and to to take in the things around me. I live on a lake, and uh, to watch the colors of the leaves change this fall has been tremendously a blessing to me. Um, so those kinds of things, I guess, to me, is what retirement is right now. Uh, What will it be like a year from now? Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? I don't think any of us ever fully retire.
0: Yeah, yeah. Joe, what books, what music, what movies really have spoken to you and to your faith?
1: I suppose... If I were going to to talk about books uh, in terms of a books, of course, the Bible is the first book you want to mention. But <laughs> uh, I think books are, to me, important. I have many books, and I've been giving away books because I don't, you know, I've read them, and they're just taking up dust on my shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that I enjoy reading are novels. Um I like Grisham's books, reading those. Um, I like Western novels as well. I, I'm a Gunsmoke fan. I All love right. to watch Matt Dillon late at night. Uh, so those kinds of things I enjoy. If I'm getting away from just technical, scriptural type things, uh, to to kind of get lost in them. My wife has introduced me to an app that I have in my phone where I can download books from the library and listen to them as I walk. Hmm. And, and I walk about four to five miles every day. Uh, and I can listen to the books as I'm walking, uh, which is a great joy to me in that regard. Music-wise, I like country-western music. Um, that's, that's just a part of me being a Tennessean, I guess. This <laughs> but I love country-western, especially Merle Haggard. He's one of my favorites. All right. Um, the struggles that he went through in his life uh, to try to put it back together uh, spoke, speaks volumes. I have a good friend that lives right up the street that um, he has a house up the street from us. He actually lives in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, he's the drummer for Linda Carter, um, who is a uh, um, country music singer. Um Paul and I share a lot in common. We talk about a lot of the country music stars and uh, the music that's coming out. He's introduced me to a lot of new things that are happening. And I, I've appreciated that. Um, as far as movies are concerned, uh, two movies really moved me in my life. And, and I'm not a big movie fanatic. But two that really moved me was an old movie by Jimmy Stewart called Shenandoah. Um, When he stood, sat at the table and prayed the prayer he did, uh, blessing the meal, if you remember, it went something to the effect, Lord, um, we thank you for all this. But our hands worked for it and prepared it and all this kind of (laughs) thing, you know, Uh, that, you know, all of us are human beings. But that movie impressed me about the real struggles that our nation went through um, during the Civil War period. Uh, and struggles that we still face today uh, in a lot of those regards. And the other movie that has impressed me most in my life was The Passion of the Christ. Uh, When I saw that, of course, much of it was in Latin. And uh, my first wife and I went to see it together, and she said, you're not reading the subscripts. I said, most of it I'm understanding. Uh, and uh because of the four years of Latin that I had in high school. But that showed me in that movie, it, it reiterated to me um, the real pain, struggle, and suffering that my Savior went through, um, not just at Calvary, but through his whole ministry hmm. of trying to touch the lives of people. In 2018, I went to the Holy Land for the first time. And I, uh, I was moved at very different places, at different things that happened. You know, I could think back and remember. The one that moved me the most was in the chamber where um, Jesus was tortured by the Romans and, uh, Roman soldiers um, in the Praetorium area. And there's a, on the floor there the game that they played called King of Kings. And you can see it, it's there. And there was a rail around uh, some s- stepping stones and a, a gate that had been sealed up. And we were told by our guide that on those steps, Jesus had walked through that gate, leaving there. Hmm. We were the only group that were there at that time. I stepped over the rail and laid prostate on those stones in tears, crying. This is where my Savior hurts, and this is where he lived. If you've never been to the Holy Land, it's a must. It will make those scriptures come alive again and be a part of you. I was privileged to go back to Jerusalem in May of this year at the invitation of Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum, and to study there on their campus for six days. Uh, All I had to do was pay my airfare to get over there. And those six days in the last issue or one of the last issues of the CP, there's a picture of me placing a wreath at the the memorial wall for the Holocaust victims. In those six days, I I understood better where hatred is coming from and how we can deal with hatred. Um, Gosh, our world is filled with it today. Mm. And, and trying to find ways where we can say, yeah, I don't agree with you, but let's work together and find some solutions rather than taking our anger out on each other. Mm. Um, and after I had finished my studies, I stayed for four more days in Jerusalem and I walked 44 miles in three days. <laughs> I walked right. from Gethsemane to the home of Caiaphas, through the Kidron Valley, the steps that my master would have taken the night that he was betrayed. And each step I took, it seemed like I'm getting closer closer to you, Lord. Um, it's just, I guess it's a feeling, that's one impression, those two trips um, perhaps made such an impact on me personally. Uh, and my commitment to Christ mm. and knowing that he's committed to me uh, as well. Uh, books, you know, I love to read, but I listen to books more than I read books now. <laughs> um, and um, novels I like, uh, some fiction, C.S. Lewis I love. Uh, if I'm going to get with technical stuff, I love C.S. Lewis's things. Um But movies, Shenandoah, uh, The Passion of Christ, and then probably the greatest impact in the last five to six years has been my two visits to, to Israel.
0: Joe, before we depart, who besides your grandmother had a great impact on your faith and on your ministry and on your relationships?
1: Two pastors come to my mind very quickly. Uh, One of them is, of course, Terry Maynard. Um, In fact, I had told my first wife, I said, if I pass away, you get Terry to do my service. Of course, Terry's with the Lord now. um, So that won't happen. But Terry was very much an influence in my life. He was young at the time. Of course, I was just a kid. But. He gave me, I thought, some good advice to be patient and just listen for what God's saying to you. And then another pastor that was very influential in my life was J. Craig Martindale. Uh, Craig was the pastor of my church in Louisville first when I came into the ministry. And one of the bits of advice that he gave me one day I thought was very unique. He said, don't be afraid to beg, borrow and steal because that's what preachers always do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What he was saying, what he was really saying to me is, listen to what other people are saying about scriptures. Uh, and uh, don't be afraid to utilize their ideas. <laughs>
0: okay, uh, my, mind, my mind went in some other direction. I'm really glad you clarified.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what he was really saying to me is said. Preachers are notorious for taking the ideas of others and and building upon them and growing, and that's mm-hmm. really what a part of pastoring is: is learning from others mm-hmm. and growing and learn uh, being able to develop those ideas uh, in a way that is needed in your ministry and your service. Those two people had a great influence as far as pastors in my life. Um, the other another person that had a tremendous influence in my life was my first wife um we met when we were 10 years old and uh we didn't start dating until uh we were seniors in high school uh in fact i took her best friend to their senior prom and sat at the same table with elaine uh but we we met and we married in 71 and we were married almost 35 years before she passed away How many times she would tell me, uh, calm down, Uh, it's going to be okay, Uh, we'll get through this, those kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. she really taught me to be a a more patient person and uh, especially in my relationship with God.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, After she passed, I took her Bible uh, and she was notorious for underscoring, lining, putting notes in and all kinds of things. I passed that Bible on to my son, um, who I, I really believe God is still dealing with him and trying to get into ministry uh, through all these years. And he's appreciated that Bible in many ways. And then the fourth, uh, the fourth person that's been influential in my wife, life is my new wife. Um, Laura and I met in 2009 on eHarmony of all things. And we started communicating to one another and come to find out Laura, some of her friends were my friends. (laughs) Uh, Laura had been a teacher to my niece and nephew when they lived in McMinnville, Tennessee. Um, She knew a lot of the people that I knew. Consequently, Harry Green uh, did our wedding ceremony because Harry was a friend of mine and a friend of hers too. Laura has been a tremendous influence. I said we met on E Harmony. We married at the Harmony Church, and we live in the Harmony community. <laughs> and uh, so we have what we call a harmonious relationship. <laughs> uh, but Laura has taught me to value uh, other people. She grew up as uh, an army brat, lived all over the world. Uh, and she could see in other people good when other people couldn't. Mm. You know, she looked beyond just the superficial to see the person. And she's teaching me that. And uh, it's just underscored my ministry. I really believe that God brought us together uh, in a very special way. I was hurting. Uh, I had lost my wife. We We've been married now for 13 years, roughly, Laura and I have. I'd lost my wife to cancer. Laura had lost a daughter to cancer. So we both were understanding uh, where we were coming from and how we were hurting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the relationship that I have with her is not just, uh, well, we're best friends. Let's, Let's say that, express it that way. And we share a lot of the same concerns about people in our community. She's a very loving, caring person. She was a special ed teacher teaching blind and deaf. Uh, And, you know, her care for people has opened my eyes again to see um, beyond just the superficial person, uh, to see the the real person that's inside Mm -hmm. and who they are. So those people have influenced my life.
0: Joe, looking over your life and your faith. Do you have a great milestone that you like to
1: recall? Hmm. Uh, you're, you're asking me where I'm going to raise my Ebenezer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess the the great milestone that that I had in my life was uh, 14 years after I. Finished seminary, I went back to work on a doctorate degree, a D-man degree at Memphis. In that time of working it uh, on that degree for three years, it re-energized me for for ministry, um, and I wrote I wrote my work uh, and did my work in environmental ministry of all things. Um, And I I often like to say I wrote the book for Al Gore, but uh, (laughs) it was it was a time that once again brought me to an understanding that all of this world that we live in, we didn't have anything to do with that. God did. it. God created it. Uh, We just refashion things. We don't create anything. We just refashion it. It's our responsibility as creatures of God to take care of what God has given to us and provided to us. Uh, That's not just in physical things, but also in those spiritual things. It's also in those uh, friendships, uh, the relationships that we have with one another to really work hard at caring for them uh, and, and helping them to propagate and grow.
0: It's stewardship at its best.
1: Yeah, that's true. And stewardship's not just money. Stewardship right. is everything about our life. You know mm. what are we gonna like what am I gonna be today? Uh, rather than what do I have to do? Uh, type thing.
0: Yeah, that one that one requires a great reframing for me. Yeah. I have to think on that one
1: more. Yeah, well give it some thought. Uh <laughs> and, you know, what 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 does God want me to be today? Mm. Um, as I walk through life,
0: yeah, that definitely it, it makes you stop.
1: Makes you stop and think about what's really my relationship with Jesus,
0: right, right, yeah, and family, your yeah. vocation, your neighbors, your strangers, yeah. yeah. Joe, thank you for serving as vice moderator for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I hope you find your service fruitful, and we're very glad that uh, you're able to serve the church in this capacity. Thank you, TJ. Not that I have any authority to speak on behalf of the entire denomination, but very glad that you are the vice moderator. But I am very glad that you've shared your time with me and shared your faith.
1: One, one other thing you know I might share with you quickly is that um, the moderator Mike Wilkinson and I uh, we want we want to be able to demonstrate listening to people. As one thing Mike said when he was elected, he said, "May not have answers, but I'm going to listen to all of you." Uh, And if we can just learn to listen to one another. I think we can find common ground once again, but when we shut our ears off and we're not wanting to hear what the other people are saying around us, uh, we're going to enclose ourselves in a little shell and we'll wind up dying. We'll wind up dying.
0: Yeah. Cause we can, we can isolate, insulate ourselves. Sure. But I would also add to the listening. We need to learn how to communicate with one another and to be in dialogue
1: exactly there's a a story that was actually true that happened years ago there was a gentleman who told his wife he said I'm going to go visit my brother and um, he got on his horse and he rode over the hill and three days later he came home she said where have you been he said I've been visiting with my brother we had such a great time I decided to stay a while you know to once again learn how to talk with one another and listen to one another, I think it's going to be important for our future mm. yeah. um, as Cumberland Presbyterians, as as Christians, as human beings.
0: <laughs> right, all of all of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, all of it. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate the work you're doing, TJ. Thank you so very, very much,
0: Joe. I appreciate appreciate you giving me of your time, as I said, sharing your faith being able to talk about evangelism, pastoral care, ministry, the church. It's a great honor, and it's enjoyable as well to have these, these discussions. Thank you for letting me be part of your, uh, your faith and your, your journey.
1: Thank you very much. I, um, it's been a journey, that's for sure, <laughs> and uh, it's not over with yet.
0: <laughs> uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you, TJ. Thank you for listening to the Cumberland Road. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing on Apple, Google, and Spotify. In closing, let me read from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who stands fast? Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all of this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and in exclusive allegiance to God, the responsible man who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and call of God.